You're listening to audio from Mountain View Church located in Murphy, North Carolina. If you'd like more information, you can find us at www.mtnvu.org or on Instagram and Facebook at Mountain View Church NC. Well, it's really good to see everybody this morning. I'm encouraged that you're here and I hope the message has a profound impact on your heart today. Just a little bit of business before we dive into the scriptures. You won't find this in your bulletin, but if you would like a giving statement mailed to you for tax purposes, um, please fill out the little form on one of the iPads out there. We realize not a lot of people itemize anymore, but if you do and you would like for us to send you a statement, uh, Lauren will be glad to get that in the mail to you this week. You just need to go out and uh, click that portion on one of the iPads, fill it out, and we'll get it out to you. Well, in 1972, um, in November of that year, Corey Ten Boom, author of The Hiding Place, wrote about the following event that had taken place many, many years before. These are her words. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where sins were forgiven, were thrown when they were forgiven. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions at a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their things. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, oh, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me. Hand thrust. A fine message, Fraulein. 
How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. And the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. Nah, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I couldn't. Betsy had died in that place. Could, could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? Imagine you were there. Imagine you were in her shoes. How would you have responded? You can feel the tension, the turmoil, the unimaginable difficulty of the moment. You can sense the grief. In her words, you can sense the hurt, the anger, the bitterness, the confusion, the, the resentment that most certainly rushed to the surface as she stood before this man who hadn't only caused her so much pain, but for her represented so much hurt and heartache. This scene highlights in a very stark way the challenge of the fifth request of the Lord's Prayer. A challenge that just might make it the most difficult portion of the entire prayer. Our Father in the heavens, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And just to make sure that you and I don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying, just to make sure that we can't somehow blunt the force of his words, he circles right back around to this request immediately after finishing out the prayer, as if to say to his disciples, you heard me right, I meant what I said. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now what's going on here? Is Jesus saying 
that the Father's forgiveness is contingent upon our forgiveness of others. Is he saying the Father's forgiveness is only offered to us if and when we offer it to others? Whatever answer we come to in response to these questions, one thing we cannot do is minimize the force with which Jesus says these words. At some point, like Corey Ten Boom, you and I are going to have to wrestle with what it means to be a forgiven people. In the end, I think this is precisely why Jesus has, has given us the request he has in the form that he's put it in front of us. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we continue to ask the Lord Jesus to teach us to pray. We are, as I've already said, in this fifth request of the prayer, which is situated in the second half of the prayer. We're almost done. And I hope as we've gone through this series that your prayers have actually begun to change. That the way you talk to the Father has actually begun to be affected and impacted by how Jesus teaches us to talk with our Father. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. This is what the Holy Spirit writes to us, the people of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, here's the command, okay? Jesus is about to introduce us not to a prayer to be repeated, but to a prayer in order to give us a pattern for praying. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Heavenly Father, I ask for your help today. What I'm convinced this is the most challenging portion of this prayer. And Father, to understand why you've given it to us in the way that you have. And to understand then what it means to pray it in the form in which you've given it is really an invitation to go further up and further into your mercy and to be challenged and changed by your mercy into merciful people. So Father, speak through your word today. Speak as your spirit is present among us today to each and every heart, wherever we are. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're going to grasp what Jesus is teaching us to pray in verse 12, we're going to have to slow down. We can't get ahead of ourselves. 
This request, like the prayer itself, has two halves. And we have to address first things first. In other words, as Jesus says, we must address the debt that we owe to our Father before we address the debts others owe to us. Again, like the shape of the entire prayer, we must go vertical first before we go horizontal. We must think your, your, your before we think our, our, our. Forgive us our debts. The first half of this request is really the fundamental prayer of a spiritual family full of brothers and sisters who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they owe their father so much more than they could ever give him or ever have given him. Walking back through the prior portions of the prayer that we've already studied, the children of God know this all too well. We often lack faith in our Father to provide for our daily needs. We often complain to our Father regarding the things that He does or doesn't provide. We, we often forget to give thanks for the things that God has provided. We often neglect or ignore or refuse to submit to God's revealed will in the Scriptures. We often forget who the King of the Kingdom really is. And we resort to building and establishing our own kingdoms. And we can so easily slip into living to please self rather than living to please our Father. As the children of God, having come into his family by sheer grace through faith in the Son of God. We know that the debt that we owe to our Father is something that we cannot repay. It's too large for that. Besides, and I want you to get this, when you and I step foot on the religious treadmill and we begin to try to run off that debt that's larger than we can imagine, we simply begin to incur more debt. Because while we may step away from things that our Father doesn't want us doing, things that displease Him, we just turn right around and step on the treadmill and try to earn our way back into His good graces, which itself is just as much sin as this right here. And so, Jesus teaches us, as the Father's children, to do the only thing we can ever do with this enormous debt that we owe our Father. We don't try to pay it back, we just own up to it. As the Holy Spirit reveals specific sins, you and I confess before our Father specific sins sins. As children, we tell our Father that we've messed up. We don't try to hide it or sugarcoat it or shift blame for it. We come clean. Now, why do we do that? We don't, we don't do it because we, we have some sort of transactional agreement with God that works something like this. I like to sin. God likes to forgive. Sounds like a good partnership to me. No, we come clean 
Because the Father has rescued us. The Father has cleansed us. The Father has clothed us in the righteous robes of his Son. And he has poured out every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places upon us. And so now, as children, we don't want anything to come between us and our Father. We come clean because the very mercy of God has so captured our hearts. Our Father has so captured us and won our affections with His mercy, His grace, His goodness, and His holiness that we just want to be like Him. And so we come clean. We confess our sin. We ask our Father to forgive us because we don't want anything to keep us from Him. We know all too well that there are things that get in the way. Things that interrupt our communion with Him. And if we are walking with Christ, these things grieve us. It grieves us when we lack faith. It grieves us when we lack gratitude. It grieves us when we lack a willingness to obey It grieves us when we lack a hunger for the kingdom or when we desire our own glory more than we desire the glory of God. At least it should. It grieves the children of God that our lives are not more pleasing to our Father. It grieves us that our sin distances us from Him. It grieves us to know that we're living contrary to His will contrary to the desires of the one who loved us so much that he would give his only son his very best when we were at our very worst. It grieves us, or at least it should. This is what Jesus is teaching us via the first half of this request. As the people of God who have been shown so much kindness and so much goodness and so much mercy Our hearts should melt every time we stray from the will of our Father in such a way that we run to Him and not away from Him. We ask our Father to forgive us. Rather than run for cover, we run into His arms. Rather than make excuses, we throw ourselves upon His mercy. Jesus invites us with the first half of this request to hear the words of 1 John 1, 8 through 10 as an invitation. Now we spent a lot of time on these verses when we were walking through 1 John late last year. So we're not going to do that today, but I want to read these precious verses to you. John the Apostle writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Children of God who are walking with Christ the Son and who desire to please the Father live in the sweet spot of verse 9. Verse 8 says that you and I can deceive ourselves. 
We can deceive ourselves in fact so deeply and so fully that we say, there's no sin in me. If we do that, John says the truth isn't in us. The truth hasn't gotten a hold of us. We don't know the truth about ourselves. We are self-deceived. And then verse 10, John goes back and says, if we say we haven't sinned, what are we actually doing? We're making God a liar because God says, for all have what? Sinned. The sweet spot for a child of God is confession. The sweet spot for a child of God is coming into the light, trusting that the Father who has forgiven us in Christ will forgive us time and time and time and time and time again. You see, forgive us our debts is the regular request of sons and daughters who know that life is found, real life, the good life, is found in honest, humble confession, both personal and corporate. Remember, the prayer itself is plural throughout, from beginning to end. And we don't necessarily do that kind of thing enough. We don't necessarily, together as a people, own up to our sinfulness. But we should. Because being reminded of our sinfulness reminds us all the more of God's what? Mercy and kindness. Forgive us our debts is the regular request of sons and daughters who know their own hearts well enough to know that our most pressing issues aren't out there. They're right here. Forgive us our debts is the regular request of sons and daughters who know at the end of the day that our only hope is the grace of a father who promises to forgive us if we will only ask. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Daniel 9, 9 says, Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him. In order to rightly understand and place the second half of the prayer, you and I have to rightly understand and place the first half of the prayer. Because you and I, truth be told, are never going to be able to forgive unless and until you and I experience forgiveness. That's the key. That's the link. Forgiven people ultimately forgive because they've been forgiven. That's the link. Jesus says, Pray like this. Our Father in the heavens, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now I want you to think for a minute about the second half of that request. If it was not bold enough to ask the creator of the universe to pardon us when essentially every time you and I sin, we commit high treason with every act of disobedience. If that was not enough, 
I want, I want you to really grab hold of what Jesus is teaching us to do. He's, he's asking us or inviting us or commanding us to ask our Father to forgive us in the same way we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty positive that I do not want the Father following my lead when it comes to forgiveness. What about you? Any takers? I didn't think so. Now, having said that, as I said at the very beginning, we cannot and should not weaken the force of the prayer pattern that Jesus has given us. So we have to ask ourselves why Jesus is teaching us to pray this way. Why not simply say, Father, forgive us our debts. Why did he have to go and add the second half? Come on, man. Listen closely. This is what Jesus wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that our relationship with our Father is always, 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 always reflected in our relationships with others. Time and time again, walking through the book of 1 John, we encountered this truth. If you love God, you will love the people whom God loves. And if you love the people whom God loves, then that shows forth the fact that you actually love God. What we're talking about here is really the marriage of the two commandments in this request. Love God, love neighbor. In other words, to ask for grace from our Father against whom you and I have clearly sinned while refusing to give grace to others who sin against us exposes a major disconnect in our hearts. Now Jesus, he talks about this very thing not only in Matthew 6, 12 and not only in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you'll flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about this. In fact, it's one of his most challenging parables. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, who's the king in the parable? God. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Who is this? Me. That's the right answer to that question. Me. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And watch this, out of pity for him, the master of that servant did what? Released him from his debt. 
Now, the servant is me. The father is the master. Here we encounter the largeness of God's heart. Because a debt of 10,000 talents would be multiple millions of dollars in our day and time. Now, how do you think the servant is going to respond to God's generosity? Look at verse 28. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, that's not a small amount. It's several days wages. In fact, many, many days wages, but not quite to the level of 10,000 talents. So the servant seized him. He began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. He did the same thing with his fellow servant that the prior servant had done with the master. He refused. He said, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, again, we cannot blunt the force of Jesus' words. If you add Matthew 6, 12, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, and Matthew 18, 23 through 35, the message is very, very clear. To ask forgiveness in one breath while at the same time refusing to extend forgiveness in another exposes a chasm in our understanding of what it means to be a forgiven person. In fact, we can take it a step further. Jesus intends this request to consider us, to compel us to consider before our Father whether we have actually ever experienced the depth of God's forgiveness at all. If we withhold forgiveness. Look, here's the bottom line, and I've already said it this morning. Forgiven people forgive. They take on the character of the Father. In fact, Paul wrote in Colossians 3, verse 13, As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Now, what is forgiveness? I thought about that a lot this week. And look, this is really an extended conversation. That at some point we need to have beyond the context of this sermon. I'll say a little bit today, but I promise you, what I want to say only scratches the surface. And what I'm going to say isn't going to get into the weeds of many of the questions that many of you probably have. 
If that's you, if you have a question about forgiveness in a particular relationship or circumstance, I want to encourage you to do something. Write it on a connection card. Drop it in one of the black boxes. Nobody but us will ever see it. I'd love to know and perhaps even have an opportunity to talk to you if you find some of these things challenging. Because the truth of the matter is, sometimes forgiveness is challenging. And you see, here's what we do as Christians sometimes. We forget the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus when it comes to something like forgiveness. We tend to think, well, I've forgiven the person, so all the hurt feelings, they should all be gone immediately. We tend to think if we've said the words that there isn't necessarily a process involved walking from hurt to healing. We tend to think misconceived things like forgiving means forgetting. There are some things you will endure in your life that mentally you will never be able to scrub from your mind. So what does it mean to forget? Well, at its most basic level, and that's where we're going to stay. We're going to stay at ground level today. At its most basic level, forgiveness means releasing someone who's guilty of sin against you from the debt they owe you. Jesus uses the word debt in the first half of the prayer and the word debt in the second half of the prayer. And the picture is simply this. When someone sins against you, they owe you a debt. And when you forgive them, it's not as if the debt goes unpaid. In fact, when the Father forgives us, He doesn't just overlook our sin as if it wasn't a serious matter. His Son died so that you and I could be forgiven. So with forgiveness, there always comes a price. Here's the difference. When you don't forgive, when you withhold forgiveness, you're hanging that price over that person's head. When you forgive, you choose to write the check. Make sense? When you and I write that check, it may begin with a decision, but it'll probably feel a lot like a process. And it means ultimately that you and I commit to a threefold promise. Number one, when you and I forgive, we are committing not to leverage the offense against that person in our own mind. Let me use an illustration. Let's say springtime comes, and you know that Pastor Mike has a lawnmower, and you don't have one, but Pastor Mike will lend it to you because Pastor Mike's lent it to other people, so you just call me up and you say, hey, Mike, can I borrow your lawnmower? And I say, great, here's a can of gas to go with it. Well, you go and you cut your grass and you bring it back to my house and it has no wheels on it, the motor doesn't work, and you didn't even bring me the gas can. It's busted. Now, if I want to cut my grass, I have a couple of choices. I can buy a goat or I can go get one from Doria. Or I'm going to have to fix the lawnmower. Now, I can make you pay for it or I can pay for it. If I choose to forgive what you did, what do I do? I eat the cost. 
And what happens in our own minds when we hold on to unforgiveness is simply this. We tend to reduce the individual who hurt us to their offense. And we basically tell that story about them to ourselves and see them and the whole rest of their life through that thing they did wrong to us. Huh. There goes that person that busted my lawnmower. I'm never going to let them borrow anything of mine again. I bet they do that to other people. I wonder if they do that to other people. Now that's one level of where forgiveness has to take hold. The, the, the second is the level of that relationship itself. So I can, I've got to make that promise in my own mind not to leverage that offense over that person. But I've also got to make the promise not to leverage the offense against that person between the two of us. When do we do this? We do it when we place certain expectations on a person or we set special rules in place to govern a relationship based on past wrongdoing. So forgiving means not using past wrongs as an overruling thing by which current decisions are made in a relationship. Let's, let's take the lawnmower illustration again. You bring my lawnmower back to me, it doesn't even look like a lawnmower anymore. You don't bring the gas tank, you don't even offer to fix the damage or buy me a new one, if I'm going to forgive you or at least begin the process, then I'm not going to let that one event define our relationship. In other words, I'm not going to allow myself to use that on you as leverage. Come to my house. You want to borrow the chainsaw. Fantastic. All right, now listen. I'll give it to you. Let, let me show you my lawnmower. You, do you remember what you did to that? How many of y'all have ever done that in a relationship? Bring up past offenses in order to manipulate the individual into doing what you want them to do. Forgiveness involves releasing that debt and not hanging it over the individual's head. Thirdly, there's the, the social level at which that promise must take effect. When you and I forgive, we're, we're committing not to leverage the offense against that person in order to harm their reputation in relationships with other people. Listen, <clears throat> I noticed after church on Sunday, that uh, you, uh, you had a conversation with so-and-so about borrowing your, uh, your weed eater. You want to know what they did to my lawnmower? <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? Forgiveness begins here, moves here, 
And it also must take effect here. At the end of the day, again, without getting into all of the weeds, and there are a lot of them, and I want you to hear me say that. The act of forgiveness brings glory to our Father. It ultimately highlights His gracious character. It ultimately showcases His mercy in a world where there is not a lot of it. When we forgive, we point to the Father who forgives us. It also brings glory to the Son. When you and I forgive, we follow our King who paved the path before us. Like all of the other requests, He embodies this one. He paid for our sins on the cross, and while He was paying for our sins, What did he say when he looked upon all of the soldiers who were taking his life? Father, what? Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So forgiveness brings glory to the Father. It brings glory to the Son. In fact, one pastor went so far as to say, my capacity to forgive people who have hurt me is only as great as my memory of how much Jesus has forgiven me. Forgiveness also brings glory to the Holy Spirit. You see, forgiveness, which isn't a feeling, but a choice and a commitment, and as I've already said, very often a process, is made possible through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness offered from the heart, is a supernatural act. Think about it. It goes contrary to everything in us, even those things that reflect the image of God in us. The fact that we want justice is not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when we take it into our own hands and we seek revenge. Then we're not reflecting the heart of our Father. Grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness. Those things essentially go against the grain, and so they require the presence and the power and the enablement of the Spirit. Finally, when we look at who God is and all that God's done for us and all that God desires for us, I want you to see this morning that forgiveness is an invitation from God to experience real freedom. Did you know that living with unforgiveness takes not only a spiritual toll, but a physical toll? Numerous studies have been done that show that harboring unforgiveness affects the human body in profound ways. More than that, on the spiritual level, did you know that the enemy of your soul wants to use unforgiveness, to transform you and to transform your hurt into harm. To transform you from a person who's been hurt into a person who wants to hurt. And if you want to hurt the person who hurt you, that is not from the Father. It cannot be. That is not his heart. When we hold on to unforgiveness, 
And that unforgiveness takes root as bitterness. The person that we're actually affecting most is who? One author said it so well. I love this. He said, bitterness is like drinking nuclear waste and hoping that the person that you are mad at gets radiation poisoning. That's pretty good. The one who nurses unforgiveness poisons himself. But the gracious God would have us come clean about our unforgiveness so that we can experience the liberating power that only he can give. So today the invitation's open right where you are, right where you've come into this building and realize now that you are wrestling with unforgiveness. I can't promise you this morning that the hurt that you feel will go away immediately. I can't promise you this morning that forgiveness will come easily. I can't promise you this morning that it'll come quickly. Choosing to release the person who hurt you from the debt that they owe you, it'll begin with a choice, but depending on the level of hurt, it might be a lengthy process. I can promise you this, though. The Father wants to set you free. The Son wants to set you free. The Holy Spirit wants to set you free. Are you prepared to come clean about the nuclear waste inside of you? Only He can clean up that mess. And He wants to. Corey Tim Boom went on to describe the scene this way. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew that, not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Listen to this. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. 
You supply the feeling. So, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one outstretched to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my, our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Now I think what she says next is profound wisdom. And having thus learned to forgive is the, in the hardest of situations... I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I have learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God every day. Wow. The two halves of this request, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, are inseparable. You and I will only ever be able to forgive others no matter how much they've hurt us, whether in large or small ways, to the extent that we've actually experienced the Father's forgiveness. And the fact that you and I have experienced and are experiencing the Father's forgiveness, it will result. It will show up in the ways that we handle the debts that others owe to us, no matter how large or small. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people, come on, y'all got to get this. Forgiven people forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've talked about hard things today. And I cannot imagine the many hurts of the people who fill this room. Lord, I don't presume to stand up here and tell everyone here That whatever their circumstance, forgiveness will be easy. Just, just do it. Just say the word. I can't promise anyone here 
that it'll be a one and done event. I can't promise anyone here that they won't have to wrestle with feelings of heartache and hurt and pain for some time to come. I can't tell anyone here how long the process might take. But Lord, we do have your word. Your word tells us that forgiven people forgive. And so if there is any person here today, any person under the sound of my voice who claims the name of Christ, who is nursing hurt and bitterness against another individual, ultimately, Father, they are poisoning themselves. And holding on to that forevermore will have eternal consequences. So, Father, I pray as some of our prayer members are going to be right down front this morning, that you would give anyone here who knows they need to come into the light about an issue of unforgiveness, Father, the humility and the honesty to come before you and simply say, I need help. I don't want to be burdened by this. I don't want to carry this. I don't want to be shackled by this any longer. God, meet that person right where they are. And today, today, God began the process of setting them free. And then for that person today who's here, who doesn't know Jesus, who's never known the grace and mercy, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, and the forgiving power of God's grace. They can today. They can. All they have to do is turn from living for self, building the kingdom of self, and doing the will of self, and say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to live my life for you. And the promise is, to any and all who come, you will wipe the slate clean. What good news we have. As we sing about his mercy today, may our voices lift high and may our hearts be uplifted. In Jesus' name, amen.